Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. It is our prayer that today, if you have made it into this room in search of salvation, that you would recognize through something that happens in this hour, through the singing, through the thinking, through the praying, that there is a Savior, just as we sang, who lights the way. That is our prayer. And as we offer up a prayer together as one body of faith, I do want to call your attention to two groups of our family members who are in need of prayer today. We have two groups of Johns Creek Baptist uh, members who are away from us this morning. One group is at Presidio, Texas. Presidio is listed as one of the top 20 impoverished counties in America. And we have a group of 19 JCBC members who are there serving through the agency of baseball, through sports, to love uh, the students who are involved and their families. And we're praying for them, swapping texts this morning uh, with Todd Shiver, one of the uh, team leads there, saying everything's going great. They are wiped out. They are tired. But uh, they're getting up to go to worship this morning and continue their work. So pray for them today while we worship as they serve on our behalf in in Christ's name. We also remember today in our prayer, we remember that we have students and their chaperones who are at uh, a conference called Faith in 3D. They're at Disney World, and it is a conference for students who are in high school, and it is a cross-denominational experience, several different denominations who gather to worship and study. And the theme, the focus this year, and I was swapping texts with Kep. Paid our, our youth pastor this morning, who said that they're studying and considering ways to dream God's big dream for the world and seeking practical ways to become the change that we want to see in the world. And so they're up to some good work this week, and I hear some great things coming from them, but we want to pray for them while they are together. Uh, and then a program note as we pray in just a moment. When we're finished praying, you see on your order of worship that there is uh, an anthem. It is one of my favorite anthems, choir. A mighty fortress is our God. This morning, I asked for permission to swap things around a little bit because we are starting a new sermon series, and you're going to hear about it more in just a few minutes. But I really want you to hear the lyrics, the texts of the anthem through the ears of having heard the, the passage of Scripture that we've read. Luther, Martin Luther, wrote the lyrics of this anthem that you're, you'll hear after the sermon, and it tells a story. It grows, it builds, it moves. And I, I need you to recognize the imagery as you listen to the choir. So we're going to flop things around a little bit. In just a moment, our musicians are going to play while we uh, give our offerings. And then I'll preach, and at the end of the sermon, uh, choir... We'll need you to light it up, okay? We'll need you to bring, bring it home for us. For now, let's take a moment and pray 
and lift up our hearts and minds to the one who is the lifter of both. Let's pray. God, in this hour of worship, we dedicate our mind's attention and our heart's affection to you. We recognize that 24 hours a day, you are exclusively the one who is worthy of both our mind's attention and heart's affection, but we confess to you that we rarely give it to you. That we bow down at the altars of so many other gods all week long. The God of urgency, the God of busyness, the God of self-interest. And Lord, in this moment, we smash the idols that we have worshipped. And we bend before you. And we pray that you will be lifted up and honored by what you hear and see in this place today. Even on this weekend, Lord, as we consider one of your recent prophets, the life and the message of Martin Luther King Jr., we pray that we ourselves would find the courage to say yes to you as we consider the call that you place upon our lives to be prophetic, to be inclusive, to be radical with our love. And in this hour, we welcome your spirit to do what only your spirit can do, transform us, make us better followers of you so that the world around us sees in our lives a demonstration of a God who can love everyone. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.
I'm so grateful for not just the giftedness, but the flexibility of our musicians today to move with a new plan. And grateful that uh, Tommy is here in the place of uh, Glenn Crossway today, who, by the way, is at the baby dedication of his grandson, Elijah. So you lift him up and his family as they celebrate a good day today elsewhere. You're going to want to be in Genesis chapter 12. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, our text will be found from within Genesis 12 and 13. Now a word about what we're up to today. Today we begin a new series entitled Patriarchs and Matriarchs. And after I introduced this last week, I was met with two or three suggestions at the end of the service that we should have named this the Mamas and the Papas. And you may be right. So the, the secondary title, Mamas and Papas, today we begin a study of the heroes and the heroines of uh, Genesis 12 through 33. The heroes of the faith, the heroines of the faith. And I, I, as we begin, I must say that there cannot be greater timeliness or urgency to a conversation like this one than now for multiple reasons not the least of which is this we have now begun a new movement an awareness a new season in the life of our church through what we call the faith to next campaign we talked about it last week in worship in the state of the church address and in these next couple of weeks, you are going to learn by coming through Sunday school, you're going to learn details about an exciting plan that will not only by August develop a secondary worship service, another worship service, a contemporary worship service to reach a group we are not currently reaching, but also a plan that if done effectively and by faith will get JCBC out of debt completely within three years. So we are in a season that is so exciting and, and we believe that we move into this season because of a conviction we have that in Jesus Christ there's never not a next, right? We're constantly moving forward in faith but we can't move to our new and next level of faith or a new and next step in faith as a church or as individuals until we know something about the character and the nature of faith itself. That's why we're looking to these heroes and heroines, as we call them. Now, all throughout the New Testament, they're certainly referred to with names like that, champions of the faith. Last week, we looked in Hebrews 11 in a chapter in the New Testament that we refer to as the Hall of Fame of Faith, and some of these characters showed up in that Hall of Fame because they are heroes and heroines, but i got to be very clear with you as we begin this exciting study. They're not heroic in any contemporary sense whatsoever. We call them heroes, but they're not heroes because they're great. They're not heroes because they're powerful and beautiful and smart. They're not heroes because they do great things like leap over tall buildings with a single bound. They are broken. They are nervous. They are rebellious. They're a mess, like us, which is why they are the best teachers for us, because like us, we too are broken, we are scattered, we are afraid, and yet they found a way to navigate the way of faith 
and to know something about God by the end of their journey. It's important that we listen to their voices, our ancient mothers and fathers in the faith. But it's important for another reason, a deeper reason than all of that. You and I both know somebody who is finished with faith. I mean, they're done. And we all know people in our family or in our neighborhood, people who, who we love. And maybe, maybe even you are here and you're one of who I'm talking about. Where there's a resistance and maybe even a rejection of faith because somewhere along the way, somebody taught you that to, to have faith means that you somehow have to close your eyes and just blindly jump into something that, that you know nothing about. And somewhere along the way, maybe somebody told you that faith means blind faith, that you, that you, you have to take a big deep breath and jump without knowing anything at all about what's ahead. And maybe you assume that somehow that, that's that insults your, your reasonability, your, your in intellect, and it, it insults your capacity to be a thinking human being, and that somehow if, if, if I have to check my brain at the door in order to be a person of faith, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, listen, nothing can be further from the truth. The people who we are going to study are people who are full of doubts, full of questions, full of struggle, and yet in the midst of all that, they found something mysterious and divine and powerful about walking with the one who they called God. And so we study today. Now, here's a bit of a housekeeping note. Because we're going to be studying the, <laughs> the mamas and the papas, from now until Palm Sunday, I want to give you homework. I want to give you preparation work for the sermons Today, the sermon will come out of chapter 12 and 13. Next week, it will come out of 14 and 15. And every week thereafter, there will be two chapters for each week. And the sermon will come out of one of those two chapters somewhere. So your homework for this week would be to read Genesis chapter 14 and 15 on Monday night. And then on Tuesday night, you read Genesis 14 and 15. And then on Wednesday night, again, you read 14 and 15. Thursday, 14, 15. Friday, Saturday, 14, 15. Read the same two chapters so that you are abiding in the very text from which I say something on Sunday. But for today, we'll be in chapter 12 and you need to know that if you're going to know something about chapter 12 or 13 or 14 or on through the rest of the series, we have to begin this study at the end of chapter 11. Yeah. So I want you to turn back just a page to chapter 11, Genesis 11, verse 27. Because there is a verse at the tail end of chapter 11 that frames not only this entire story the entire story of faith. You know that Genesis 1 through 11 is a different kind of Bible. It speaks in different kind of language. It talks about different kinds of things unfolding. It's the, the primordial history. It's 1 through 11. But at the tail end of chapter 11, we pick up in verse 27 these words. Let's read. Now these are the descendants of Terah, Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. 
Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. The reading of the sacred word. There can be no better framing verse, no better stage or platform on which this series unfolds than the verse that we just read in number 30. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. The beginning of this story begins with barrenness. The reason that's important and and critical to understand is because you know exactly what unfolds after this story begins. You know that in just a few moments, and we'll read the text together, Abraham is going to be called, or his name is Abram at the time. He'll be called, he'll be promised some things. He'll be promised children, more children than the stars of the heavens and more children than the grains of sand on all the beaches of the world. He'll be promised children. He'll be promised land. He'll be promised a name that no one will forget. They'll keep talking about it for years and years. He'll be given these promises, and and you already know that Abram, from Abram comes the three great monolithic or monotheistic religions of the world. All three of the monotheistic religions of the world, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all trace their roots back to Father Abraham. You already know that Abraham is the father of three religions and billions Billions of stories of faith and discovery and life and love that have unfolded after all those years. But it begins with barrenness. All of that and all of this that you and I continue to enjoy and thrive in called the faith, it began with barrenness. The point is, when God wants to do something in your life, it does not depend on your potential. Do you realize how common the theme of barrenness is throughout the faith life, the faith story? It doesn't just end with Sarah, but after Sarah, there is another, Rebecca, who is barren. Rachel, who is barren. Hannah, who is barren. Later in Isaiah, we hear of the nation of Israel described as barren. And don't let it be lost on you that our Lord Jesus Christ was born to a virgin. And is it any wonder why? Because it's in those those seasons, those realms in which nothing seems to be produced, nothing seems to be possible, that God shows off the best. This story begins in barrenness. God's greatest work in you does not depend on your potential. God's favorite venue 
is barrenness. And that's important for you and for me, not just in regard to children bearing. I mean, come on. You know this is more than just about children, right? There are seasons in which every one of us go through barrenness. If barrenness means the inability to produce the thing that you want to produce, then you know exactly what barrenness is, maybe even right now, because we go through seasons in which we are barren, unable to produce an answer to the question that we have burning in our lives. We're unable to produce a solution. We're unable to somehow fix the problem that our kids are going through. We're unable to fix the the disease that our loved one is going through. We, We can't produce, we're barren. Sometimes we go through a barrenness of heart, barrenness of mind, barrenness of soul, and and we have no way to produce, I don't know, a reconciliation between either you and a family member or two warring, battling family members. And sometimes the barrenness is so dry and so, so empty that it's not just that you don't have the ability to produce the reconciliation. Sometimes you get to the place where you don't even have the desire to have the ability to produce the situation. Anybody following me? We live from season to season with the experience of barrenness. But the reason we listen to our mothers and fathers in the faith, the ancient patriarchs and matriarchs, is because in the midst of barrenness, that's where this story begins, they found a way to live And their message to us, their witness to us, is that in the midst of whatever it is that is is falling apart in you, whatever it is that is empty and dry and hopeless in you, you don't have to be hopeless because their witness is this. This God specializes in barrenness. This God knows what to do in the season in which you have no clue what to do So what does God do? We read about it in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, who, by the way, was living in a season of barrenness as well, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be pleased or shall be blessed. The answer to the question, what does God do that's so special, so unique, so God-like in the midst of barrenness? The answer is in verse 1. Now the Lord said we don't even have to go any further than that word in fact we could preach a whole series of sermons on that one phrase now the lord said he spoke he articulated he he spoke a word In the midst of a context that was absolutely barren and void, he speaks a word. When was the last time in Scripture, and keep in mind we're only 12 chapters in, when was the last time in Scripture you recall the Lord speaking into the void? Chapter 1, verse 1, 
we hear these words. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, we might even say a cosmic barrenness. And darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let the... By the way, did you hear that? We focus on what's in quotes there. But the word before it matters most. Then God said, spoke into, did something about the void. Let there be light, and there was light. In the seasons of barrenness that we all face, this is what God is uniquely qualified to do. God speaks light and life and vibrancy in those seasons when we see nothing but barrenness and void and emptiness and darkness. This is what he's up to in Abram, and this is what he's up to in you. When we read about Abram and what God speaks into his barrenness, let's let, let it not be lost on us that he's not just calling Abraham to get up and go on a field trip. He's not calling him just to change zip codes and fill out a change of address form. He's not just moving him to a different location. When the text writer tells us about this in the way that he tells us about this, He's making sure that you and I know that what God is up to in the barren lives of Abram and Sarai is this, nothing less than the divine act of creation all over again. Do you know that in you, God desires to create the world all over again? This isn't just a story about a long ago event that happened to This is about you. The Lord himself desires to create the world all over again in you. He speaks into barrenness and creates worlds. And what does God say when God speaks? Back in verse 1, we read it this way. Now the Lord said to Abraham, spoke into his barrenness and said, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. That's future tense. In other words, I, you don't get a GPS for this one. You, you don't get a description of, of, of what it looks like along the way. I'm calling you to go to a place that along the way I will show you. Walter Brueggemann is a phenomenal um, Hebrew scholar, Old Testament scholar. In talking about the call of Abram, he says, when we see God speaking into barrenness, and when we see God calling them out of this difficult situation into a more difficult situation. When we see God speak into his void and say, go, then the suggestion is clear that the way out of barrenness is pilgrimage. Now, this goes against every instinct that you and I have 
Because when we are in seasons of difficulty and things are falling apart, things are, are, are barren, you and I are looking for a place to put our foot. We're looking for a solid place to stand. We're looking for some place to, to hunker down. But faith calls us to something different. Faith calls us to pilgrimage. Anytime that you and I experience barrenness of mind, of heart, of soul. Our tendency is to, to tighten our grip on the things that at least we do control. Well, my life may be spinning out of control over here, but at least it's not here, so I'm really going to pay a close attention to the kids. <laughs> or I'm really going to fixate on this thing with my coworker. Or I'm really, and we begin to hunker down on places that are secure. But God's call of faith is that if you want to get out of barrenness, you must say yes to a pilgrimage into the unknown. Faith calls us from the familiar to the unfamiliar, from what is known to what has not yet been seen. Because it's only when we say yes to a pilgrimage like that that we learn to stop relying on our own skills, our own innovation, our own creativity, our own abilities, our own bag of tricks, our own way out of our problem. It's only then that we're able to stop fixating on our own solutions and begin to humbly, desperately depend on the providence of the only one capable of doing something about barrenness. Now, there's a word for this. Along the way, a, a kind of pilgrimage that doesn't end, a pilgrimage that moves from barrenness to trouble to even more trouble to more uncertainty. The ancient Celts had a word for it, peregrinatio. Peregrinatio is a word that, that literally means the perpetual pilgrimage. In the Celtic mind, in the Celtic spirituality, one of the deep virtues was this, their orientation to life, their understanding about life is that no, life is not, it's not meant to somehow be controlled and then once we arrive at a certain place, then ah, yes, we've achieved, we've accumulated, we've come to a place where now this is what we were headed toward, now we're here, so now let's just kind of ride this into the sunset. That's not how life works in the Celtic mind. It is the way it works with us, whether we admit it or not. That's why we work hard and achieve and drive and it's, and try to climb to get to a place where now we can coast, right? But the ancient Celts understood that no. The only way to grow in faith, the only way to know the God of faith is to be on a perpetual pilgrimage through life to consider that every season that we're in is a temporary season. Every season we're in is a temporary season. Whether that season is suffering or celebration, it's all temporary. Well, there's a story told in the uh, ninth century of three Irishmen who board a boat just off the coast, but the boat has no oars and no sail. And they drift at sea for some time, seven days. Their provisions last for seven days until they wind up on the shore of Cornwall on the south of England. They were brought to the king, and, and the king asked, where have you come from, and what are you doing? What, why, why were you out upon the sea? And remember, the Celtic Christians that they were, with the awareness that life is supposed to be a, a perpetual pilgrimage, 
had these words to say. We stole away because we wanted for the love of God to be on pilgrimage. We cared not where. What would it look like to begin thinking about the thing that you're going through as a perpetual pilgrimage? An opportunity to step from one season of the unknown into the next, but recognizing in each season that the God who loves you is walking with you through each season. This is the kind of journey that Abram was being called on by the Lord our God. A season in which he moved and it was difficult. And he moved again and it continued to be difficult. And he moved again and it was still harder than before. But with each move, there was an intimacy discovered with God that never would have been discovered had he remained safe in Ur of the Chaldeans. Maybe somebody today is being called away from comfort and home and everything familiar, remembering what we've always said, that when you come to the end of your resources, when you come to the end of you, you come to the beginning of God. This is what Abram was called on, and we read about it as we continue in verse 3, I believe. I'll be reading Genesis 3 through 9. Listen to what happened when he said yes to this perpetual pilgrimage. In verse 4, actually. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and all the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he so he, he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved. He moved on to the hill country on the coast or the, uh, on, on, the cat, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. An interesting pattern emerges as we study the life of this patriarch. He's in barrenness, and God speaks into the barrenness and says, this is my speciality. I do know what to do about barrenness. Oh, well, what do I do? Go. Go away from everything that's familiar? Go. Walk away from the one or two things that I know at least I have some control on? Go. And as he goes, something interesting happens. As we continue to read through the rest of the chapters, 12, 13, 14, 15, an interesting repetition begins to emerge. It happened just then, and it repeats again. This is the pilgrimage of Abram. In Abram's pilgrimage, go ahead and put the first one up there, Jeff. He journeys to the unknown. Next, he pitches a tent in the land that he does not know. Next, he sees God, God has revealed to him, and next, 
he builds an altar. Now stick with that for just a moment. This is a pattern that repeats again and again in Abram's life. He moves to the unknown because he's on a perpetual pilgrimage. We all are. We just haven't accepted it yet. (laughs) He's on a perpetual pilgrimage, so he journeys to the unknown. But in the unknown, the text says he pitches a tent, which is curious to me, which is beautiful to me. Because when you pitch a tent, it means you're not staying there. When you pitch a tent, it means you acknowledge, I'm not here to collect mail. I'm passing through. He pitches a tent, but while he pitches a tent, while he says yes to this adventure that he didn't necessarily want to go on in the beginning, something happens. God reveals God's self to him in that land of the unknown. In other words, he sees God in a brand new way. And do you know what he does as a response? He builds an altar, which is code word for he worshiped. He built an altar to get on his knees and worship, to sacrifice and say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't think I, I would find you out here, but, but you were here ahead of me, and you were waiting on me, and here I am, and I see you now, and I see you in a way I didn't used to see you back in Ur of the Chaldeans, and because I see you with brand new eyes, and I see you in all your fullness, ah, I worship you. But then guess what happens? He, he strikes camp, <laughs> And God calls him to another area, another land of the unknown in which, again, he pitches a tent. God is revealed again to him in a different way. He builds another altar. And and in the same rhythm, the same pattern, it's curious to me because maybe that's not a bad way to think about our journey. The text even says uh, of Abram at the end of that text, he said that Abram continued to travel on by stages. Thus, Abram journeyed by stages toward the Negev toward the land where he was going, right? What if you and I could learn how to acknowledge that every Monday is part of a stage, every Tuesday, the stage every season, 2017, it's a stage. And we journey by stages because they're all a collection of stages held in the capable hand of the God who knows. It may not be a bad pattern for us to live by, As we consider ways for us to walk in the faith, think about three tips today to take home with you. Ways to walk in the faith. If we pay attention to Abram and what Abram did, that means that you and I are called to do this. Pitch a tent in the unknown. Seek God with new eyes and worship where you are. Pitch a tent in the unknown. You are at the place right now that you didn't ask for maybe. That part of your life that's unresolved, you want it to resolve, but remember the truth that was spoken. God will lead you to the end of your resources. And God will call you, not because you're qualified, not because he's impressed with your achievements or accomplishments, but God will call you because he sees one part of your life that is barren. So pitch a tent and look for God in a way that you haven't seen God before. Pitch a tent in the unknown. Seek God with new eyes and recognize there's far more to God than what you already know. And it's in the season of the unknown that you recognize it. And finally, worship where you are. Build an altar. Do what you must do to acknowledge before God, look, God, I'm in a season right now that I didn't ask for. I said yes to you because you said, hey, are you barren? I said yes. You said, hey, I know what to do with barrenness. Come with me. Go. And I said, okay, I'd rather not be here, but here we are. And there's some days when I don't know if I believe. Some days I don't even know if I like you. 
because of that thing that happened. Because that thing that didn't finish, that thing that did finish, sometimes I struggle. But here, living in this tent of the temporary, I build an altar and I worship you. And I bend before you, I yield before you to acknowledge that while I may not know where this thing ends up, I believe that somehow you do. And that's enough for me today. And I worship you. And I give my life to you, every part of it, even the parts where I pretend like I've got it under control. I don't. And they're yours. Pitch a tent in the unknown. Seek God with new eyes and worship where you are, even if where you are is unflattering and seems unchristian. (laughs) Worship where you are. Maybe today is the time to do one of those things. Maybe today you are being called by God to pack the tent. Maybe today you're being called by God to see with new eyes Maybe today you're being called to learn how to worship in this unresolved season in which you find yourself. That is called walking the way of faith. Now the choir is going to sing. They're going to finish this sermon. And I want you to listen to the words that Martin Luther, the great reformer, we are children of the Reformation. Listen to the words as he describes what happens when we relinquish control and we, we let goods and kindred go in this mortal life also because of our absolute faith in the one calling us. <laughs>